Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler, buddy. We're kicking it on a Thursday night this week. How you feeling, man? It's Thursday night. We survived some potential tornadoes here in the RVA. Got yeah. about one thirty today to about three thirty. Sent my wife and son home early from school. I was uh I was I was working from home today, so I was I was tucked in. Thankfully it kinda the path it took for us, it kinda went just to the west of where we were, kinda like through um like western Mechanicsville and Ashland. So we did we didn't quite get uh as much of the uh the winds and stuff that some of those other areas got. Yeah, I was in the office today, man, and the warning hit. We had to go to the basement until the warning was over. And then I had to go get my son from school. They were in shelter in place um, because the, the it went just east. For those in Richmond, it went through Parham Road. So, I mean, it, you know, I don't think it ever touched down, but it was right there. So I had to do some cast. I had to work later because I left the office kind of abruptly to do that. Wife and other son had to leave school early. So hectic day, but it's Thursday night. We have a super guest tonight. We are talking a lot of spring football, Brian. Um, and let's just go ahead and bring the man on. Let's bring yep. David Cunningham, managing editor of Tech Sideline. David, how are you? I'm doing well, guys. I'm, first of all, I'm glad you guys are safe. I'm, I'm obviously in Blacksburg. Um, it was very rainy this morning when I went to open practice, as I'm sure we'll get to. Um, and then weather kind of cooled down and – it's pretty nice out. Um, so yeah, pretty doing pretty well. Um, it's Thursday, which means we're one one day closer to the weekend. And uh, yeah, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we really appreciate you coming on, David. Um, you know, you are kind of that tech sideline. I feel like the everything man. You were in Milwaukee. You were in Brooklyn. You're covering practices. You're covering the team when they're here. Um, so you know. Just so folks who don't know you, haven't read your work, uh, give us a little background on yourself and kind of what you do at Tech Sideline. Yeah, well, to, to put it simply, um, I'm a lot younger than you guys. I'm 22. <laughs> I just graduated in May of last year from Virginia Tech. I'm originally from Yorktown, Virginia, which is just outside Newport News. Um, I I went to I, – I was rival high schools with uh, – where Bruton, where Brian Randall went to high school. So, so there's some, some knowledge for you. I live about five minutes from five, 10 minutes from where Tyrod Taylor, and Michael Vick played growing up. Um, I, you know, I came to Virginia tech. I was a, I was a freshman in the fall of 2017 school communications. Now school communications, formerly department of communications, sports media analytics major first graduating class. Um, so proud of everything that's going on in, in the school communication um, and shout out to everything Tech Sideline does, um, Will Stewart and and everybody at Tech Sideline, the, the subscribers. Um, they've donated. You know, this is um, an endowed scholarship that's been going on since August of 2018, and they donated you know over seventy two thousand dollars to the school communication. Um, and, and so because of that, you know, the school and um, specifically the sports media analytics program. And Tech Sideline have a very close relationship. So I got to know Will when I was a student uh, and, and Chris Coleman as well. Um, and, you know, when I was getting ready to graduate, I kind of just reached out and I knew they were kind of looking for somebody to 
to kind of expand everything that they were doing. So I reached out, we had a good conversation and um, can't believe it's not even been a year, but we've gone through football and basketball season and season. we've gone through a lot. I mean, yeah. consider my first year, first year out of school on the job and I've gotten to cover a football season that involved a head coaching change, which is only the second one, you know, since 1987, 87. since we were kids. <laughs> I mean, it's, Second one since 87, and then, of course, basketball. And, um, you know, I was at all but, I think, two football games this year, and I covered 20 – I was at 27 of the 36 basketball games in person. And um, you got to cover the – got to cover women's basketball as well. They had a terrific season. And, um, you know, it's been it's been a very hectic March. Um, back on March 22nd, of course, today is March 31st, but back on March 22nd, um, I, I told some of my friends – it was the twenty second day of the month, and I had only been in Blacksburg, like wake up to go to bed for five days of the month. Because I had oh, been wow. in Greensboro covering the women's tournament, and then I had been in Brooklyn covering the men's tournament, and then I'd been in Milwaukee traveling all over the place. So it's been nice to kind of pass a week or so, kind of everything settled down. But uh but yeah, Tech Sideline, I kind of like you mentioned, Curtis, I kind of do everything. Um, I'm the football and men's basketball beat writer. And I'm the managing editor, so I manage all of our our other content. So we've got some students that we employ. Um, we give them a little stipend every month. Um, Chris Hirons covers women's basketball and baseball for us. Uh, Jack Brizendine covers wrestling and does some other stuff for us. Um, you know, so I kind of edit and oversee all those guys, all of our softball coverage, our Olympic sports coverage, pretty much. Okay. Uh, so so that's my role, and then on you know. The rest of it is covering men's basketball, football, which obviously takes up a, a big chunk of my time. So, uh, so it's it's kept me busy 100%. November and December, pretty stressful. Just with I didn't have much time to think, just because of um, you know basketball was doing pretty well, and then football decides we're going to hire. You know, Justin Fuente obviously leaves, and, and you know football decides hey we're going to hire a, a head coach the day before Virginia Tech's supposed to play at Maryland in men's basketball. So. Very, very, strange. but, uh, but yeah, it's been a long year, but, but it's been very fun. I'm very, very grateful for this opportunity I have. And, um, you know, when I'm not working, it's nice because obviously, you know, I was a student when COVID hit, so I, I missed some time because of that, you know, just getting to experience, um, being a co- college student in Blacksburg, as I'm sure you guys remember your times very fondly. So to just, just to be able to, I obviously have money, so I'm not exactly like. <laughs> there we go. Um, it, it's a lot more fun when you have the money, right? It is a lot. <laughs> you know, but it's nice. It's nice to be able to go out with friends that are still here, and um, you know, to go out to to Champ Sports Bar or go grab food at Substation. You know, just just to be able to still experience Blacksburg because I didn't get to experience so much of it as a student because of COVID. So yeah, shout out Substation because. Uh, that that is the spot. That is that's my go to place. <laughs> and you know what? Honestly, if I if anybody in Blacksburg would sponsor me, it'd probably be Substation because <laughs> it's gotten to the point. I I know uh, Hamid, the owner, very well, um, and it's gotten to the point where like I will kind of like walk in the door and they like already know what I want. There you go. Um, I kind of on a first name basis. So <laughs> that's a good thing. That is so. Good thing. So with all your March travels, like w- what city had the best bars? Like. That, that you got to experience 
you know what? Milwaukee was really cool. And of course, like I didn't even realize Milwaukee's got a, like, like Wisconsin as a whole has a lot of really good beer. Yes, yeah, they I mean, do. Yes, they do. Yes, they I, do. Uh, I, I made sure. So, so of course I got into town on Wednesday night because the way it works for the NCAA tournament is tech played Friday, right? Thursday is all media day. So, you know, the four teams that played in, in that first session, which was Purdue, Yale, Virginia Tech, Texas, they have media, then there's a break, and then the four teams that played in the later session on Friday, they had their media stuff on Thursday. So I spent Thursday pretty much working, churning out content. Friday, obviously, Tech played, so that kept me busy, and there were a lot of basketball games on. So Saturday was very strange because there's other second-round games going on. But I have nothing to do in Milwaukee, and I don't have a flight until Monday. So I got to go out and experience it. I went to a really good barbecue place. Um, and, and I, what I will tell you about Wisconsin is the people are just so nice. Yes. They're just so, so great people. Um, I went to a barbecue place, had really good beer. I made sure to have a spotted cow. Um, that's, what everybody, that's what everybody told me I had to have. It was very good. Did you get a 12-pack um, in the airport to take on the plane with you? I did. Because I, I know that I have a neighbor that – his home office is out of Milwaukee. And every time he flies in there, he says, as I leave, I pick up a 12 pack and take it with me. Honestly, I probably, I, I wasn't even thinking that that much at that point. I was kind of just like, I'm trying to get home. And I had a layover. I had like an hour and a half layover in Chicago. Um, But, but you know, Milwaukee was really cool. And I tell you what, for Brooklyn, Brooklyn was cool because as I told you guys before we went on air, you know, just, um, there were a lot of other Virginia Tech people affiliated media with Virginia Tech there. A lot of them students that I'm friends with. So we had a ball. We went and found some places and um, a little sketchy maybe at times. But <laughs> but you know what? Like it, it it was to to get to experience that. You know, I mean, it was like it was like Friday night or Saturday night after Virginia Tech beat Notre Dame or North Carolina or you know Duke or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, we all go out as a group and, and I, I will remember those moments, you know, that and the games obviously, but, um, but yeah, really, really fun times in March. And I can't believe college basketball season is coming to an end. Really, it's really, crazy. really. Soon. By the way, you, you talk about the sketch level. It's like a certain, it's like a curve. It's like, oh, yeah. it's a curve that it's the point where it's like a certain sketch is an awesome bar to go to. But if you get on the other side of it, you're like yeah. <laughs> one ball light. And I'm getting out here really quick. I walked into the wrong place. Um, exactly. I'm, I'm going to do my courtesy beer, and then I'm going to see you guys later. Exactly. Awesome. Yeah, and I will. I had never been in to, to Brooklyn before, so it was. So, and I don't think a lot of the other guys had either. So it was an experience. Um, but the nice thing was just where our hotel was, which was like less than a, my hotel was a half a mile away from the Barclays Center. So okay. it was nice because we were able to find places right around within walking distance. So it wasn't like we had to pay for anything. So that was cool. Got to go do some sightseeing. So overall, fun trip, and it turned out well for Virginia Tech. Yeah, yeah. I'm up. I'm actually up there uh, next week. My brother's getting married in in Long Island, so I'm, I'm heading down Thursday. So oh, nice. it, should, it should be a good time. All right. Well, let's move to it because if we keep going, just conversation, we might be here till two o'clock in the morning. Because David, even though you might be a younger brethren, um, obviously it's an easy connection with you, man. But let's start off. Let's talk about spring practice. You have got a chance already 
to go to two of the six, which is, you know, already, I don't know how many more than what you got to do with the last regime. But let's talk about what Brent Price said at the beginning of the spring. Basically, everybody on this team has a clean slate. And no starting spot is promised. And we look at the quarterback room and all these positions. You know, we're hearing Connor Brumlish getting reps. You know, Coach said he was one of the best 22 that they had out there. He's also at tight end and wide out now. Then Brown and Wells look like they're getting equal reps. In the first 10 days of spring ball, from you being there, hearing people talk, what do you think we're learning about the quarterback position? Well, I would say, first of all, from from practice this morning, you know, Connor Blumrick, they they talked yesterday uh, on on Wednesday just about all the different position changes. And Connor Blumrick's one of those guys who – they think he's a really, really good athlete. So they're like, okay, well, let's try to find where he can impact us the most. This morning he was working out at uh, at wide receiver and tight end. You know, he was catching passes. And guess what? He's a pretty good athlete, and he can catch passes, and he's one of the tallest guys out there. You know, yeah. so so you know if I think that's a a role for him because there, I think there's probably better talent than him in the quarterback room. Jason Brown and Grant Wells, you know, especially Wells, I, I've been impressed with both. But I, but I think, though, you know, those are the two guys that have, have really impressed and have really stood apart from everybody else. We've obviously got Devin Farrell, true freshman. Taj Bullock, he'll be, you know, he'll redshirt, um, be a redshirt freshman. But, um, you know, I've, it's it's those two guys and then the other two guys. But, um, you know, I, I really like what I've I've seen from from Grant Wells. And I'm not going to say – He's the starter over Jason Brown, but I think both of them have a pretty good arm, and both of them have a lot of really good experience. And if indeed Connor Blumrick does end up playing at a you know at wideout at tight end, I think he's going to be a good option out there simply because he's athletic, he's fast, and he's got really good hands. I mean, he was—I don't want to diss some of the other wide receivers, but like he was making at times better catches than some of the actual wide receivers were. So, wow. you know. I think so far it's hard to tell obviously because it's it's just quarterbacks throwing against nobody. It's not like there's a- anybody they're throwing against, no no defenders necessarily. Um but I would say the the quarterbacks have been pretty impressive, what you would expect so far, I, I think, as we'll get to later. I, I think the wide receivers have, have kind of been questionable at times and it's been more the quarterbacks that, you know, it's what you would expect. Okay. Okay. Yeah. When we had looked at some of the tape from some of the games that Tyler Bowen had called, they used um, their quarterbacks and sometimes they would use a gadget player. They would slide him into quarterback and do some, some tricks in the back backfield there with that. So that might be something that, that Connor ultimately ultimately does from a tight end position or from a wide receiver position where you can use those, not necessarily trick plays, but just ways of um, you know misdirection with the, with the offense in the backfield there. But let me ask this, because you talked about Wells already. He won the spring baller award. I think it was for practice either two or three. Um, when you think that's more indicative of his performance during practice, or if that's something more of like an attitude and effort type thing that they're giving out um, at this point. You know, Brent prize really preached competitiveness and that's been the number one thing. And I think a lot of these awards are, are all competitive driven. And I'm not going to say that, that, I could not tell you for sure that no, it's not because he, you know, went out and played, you know, fantastic during practice. Mm-hmm. But I think I think 
every single award and, and Tyler Bone and Chris Marr of offensive and defensive coordinators are releasing these every single day. I think almost every single one of these awards is based on competitiveness, based on leadership skills, based on the attributes that make you, you know, not necessarily make you a good player, but make you a good teammate. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. And, and I think Grant Wells probably showed off some leadership skills, showed off his toughness, his competitiveness. And that's the stuff that they're trying to see, um, you know, in, in spring ball, in winter workouts. That's why they, they did all of the, the winter conditioning that they did. And, and that would be my, my guess. That's my feel of it, that every single one, not just Wells, but all the other guys, you know, the ones that win spring ball awards. Yeah. I think a lot of it, I think some of it probably has to do with, you know, their performance, Wells probably, you know, whether he was at, he had a great accurate day or whatnot, you know, whether it was a wide receiver, Dwayne Lofton won one the other day, yeah. you know, whether they're, you know, making good catches or whatnot. But I also think it's a mental part of the game too, and, and physicality and not just, okay, can you go out there and make plays? It's, do you have every other aspect of your game as well? Yeah, that does make a lot of sense that you think about it. It's going to be more of a roll into one, not just performance or not just you're a rah-rah guy, you're a great teammate. You probably have to do a little bit of both to get on that. Like, you were super leadership today, but you went one for seven passing. I can't give you this award, but you had a really good day passing. You were keeping the guys engaged. You were showing your leadership. So I think you're. I think that's a good way to think about it, that it's probably a little bit of everything. Um, you've already mentioned the name redshirt freshman Taj Bullet quarterback, you know, 6'4", 230 pounds, big arm. We saw him in the bowl game last year. How are you feeling towards his development, you know, kind of early into his second year with the Hokies? Yeah, I think he's – I think he, he's got a lot of talent and he's got a big arm. I think it's – and this is not a shot at his previous quarterback's coach, but I think he just – I think he needs time to develop in this system. And I think everybody's learning curve is different. But, you know, when you look at all the quarterbacks in the room, Grant Wells and Jason Brown have a lot of experience. Yeah. You know, Grant Wells has already started for two years at Marshall, and he, com- and he comes here – Plenty of experience. Jason Brown obviously started for South Carolina this year, and he played plenty at his previous stops. Yeah. Devin Farrell and, and Taj Buller are kind of both in that category where they're freshmen, they're very raw still. Yeah. And I'm not sure. I think we'll find we'll find out more of an indication as, as spring ball goes on as we see more of Taj Bullock and Devin Farrell. But I, I can't tell you for sure how much he developed as a quarterback under the last regime, you know, and I think what, what, what Brad Glenn is doing to develop quarterbacks is probably a lot different than what Brad Cornelson was doing to develop quarterbacks. And I think it's not going to be instant. Now, the good thing is he doesn't have to be the guy, you know, it's not like there's no pressure on him because he's, I mean, obviously he wants to play, but everybody wants to play, but, but he's got Grant Wells and Jason Brown in front of him and he's already used his red shirt year. But I think there's a lot room for growth. There's plenty of room for growth where he can kind of just sit back and learn the ropes from from guys who have experience. And that's not something, okay, yeah, Braxton Burmeister came here, but he didn't have much experience as a starting quarterback before he came here. It it was a room filled with guys who had talent and guys who played at Virginia Tech, but not necessarily a guy who who had starting experience before. There was not necessarily a guy to look up to. And and I think – 
the other quarterback. I think everybody's going to help each other get better in that room. Um, you know, we were talking about it. Taj Bullock, he had a couple passes today where, you know, just throwing on the run, you take the snap, you roll to your left, you know, you just had to throw on the run, hit a guy in the flat, and, and his passes were falling short or, you know, weren't hitting the mark. And and I think that's just something where, you know, it's just taken him a little while to develop. And it's probably tough for a young guy. I mean, I can't even imagine what it's like for for a quarterback at a position so crucial where you, you're trying to learn one playbook under one coaching staff. You know, you're doing X drills and then – Two months later, different coaching staff, different playbook, different drills. Yeah. Different, yeah. you know, you're doing completely different things. So I'm sure it's going to take him some time. I wouldn't lose any hope on him yet, but obviously he's he doesn't have any pressure on him and he's he's got some time to develop. And that is, yeah, big... un, un, yeah, for, unfortunately, something like a, you know, the, as you said, with the coordinator change there, um, it, it probably is going to take him another year. And, but mm-hmm. thankfully, we do have a, a situation now with the, the guys we picked up in the transfer portal where he doesn't have to be the guy right now and or next year but, and, and maybe not next year and next that gives him a little bit of time to to come along and pick up the system and get to a point where when he does uh see the field he's commanding the offense and not out there just because we had to put a body out there so let's move on to my favorite area let's <laughs> let, let's talk offensive line i had to convince uh, him to do this second <laughs> quarterback first. it was kind of a brutal thing but we, we yeah, what, what can we do <laughs> this, this is an offensive line podcast it is uh so you know we'd already talked about a little bit some of the objectives for spring were to grasp fundamentals and compete every rep and that all starts in the trenches so we're looking at the first team uh that, that that's been out there so far uh with the group of silas Anzi. Jesse Hansen, Johnny Jordan, Caden Moore, Parker Clements. How are we feeling about the first team? I think, you know what? It's funny because back in January, December, this was a group that it, it was what? Just, just Jesse Hansen, Caden Moore, and, and Parker Clements. Like, yeah. we weren't sure if Johnny Jordan was going to come back. We weren't sure if Silas Janzi was going to come yeah. back. So you bring back two guys with with a lot of experience. There's the two guys that have the most experience on the entire line. They did. You know, not Caden Moore. Everybody saw how good Caden Moore was last year as a freshman. Parker Clements got another year under his belt. You know, he's learning. I think those two guys are going to be good. I think the question is Jesse Hansen. We never really – you know, he's a redshirt sophomore. Never really gotten gotten to see him Mm -hmm. um, get a lot of action consistently. But but I think overall, you know – it's not a bad line, all, all things considered. You know, cons- I mean, and, and I think a lot of it's going to come down to what skill, po- what skill position guys you have in the backfield. You know, like half of half of running the ball is based on the running back and quarterback, and also based on the offensive line. You know, you can have a, a, a okay offensive line, but you got a really good running back. You know, those things kind of even out. And I think overall, this is a pretty good. Is an average, above average offensive line, you know, and I think as they continue to to get better and get more reps together and get on the same page, I think they'll they'll be even better. Um, but all the guys have experience, and I think that's the biggest thing. I think Hanson's the one guy that potentially doesn't have as much experience, but Janzy, 
and Caden Moore played was fantastic last year. Johnny Jordan, remember, I mean, he he earned Big Ten all Big Ten honors. You know, when he was at Maryland, and honestly. I don't want to say he was better than Brock Hoffman, but I think those two guys were probably on a, on a very level playing field. Hoffman had just, you know, Hoffman was the incumbent. And yeah. the way that that works is, you know, Johnny Jordan had, you know, slid around and played different positions and stuff. But overall, I think it's, um, it's a pretty good group. And remember who's coaching them. It's Joe Rudolph. And he knows how to coach his offensive line guys. You know, he, he knows what he's doing and, What's really stood out to me is what, what Jesse Hansen said, um, you know, a couple – I think last week when we got, we got a chance to talk to him. He, he just praise after praise after praise of, of Joe Rudolph and just the skills he had already taught them. And from what it sounded to me like, I'm sure Vance Weiss I – mean, Vance Weiss was a, a good coach, great recruiter, had great offensive lines at Virginia Tech. But I'm sure their teaching techniques are, are much different. And uh, it's good to – it's nice to hear the the praise and go, oh, okay, you know, that's interesting because, um, you know, I don't know if I'd ever really heard a Virginia Tech player talk about a coach like that, this regime or last regime. So to hear Hanson talk about how much Joe Rudolph and how great he is as a teacher, I, I think that's really, really telling. Yeah, he seems like he's really able to break, you know, fundamentals and scheme and things down and, and, and teach it in a way that I don't think has been done at Virginia Tech for a while. Um, do you see anybody on this unit kind of emerging as a leader? I know you kind of had the last two have went into the uh, into the draft um, as, as as they've uh, finished out their careers at Virginia Tech. No real seasoned veteran uh, outside of Silas, maybe who hasn't um, necessarily been a, an entrenched starter for multiple years. So, who is kind of emerging as that leader on the line so far that you're seeing? Yeah, I would say Silas Janzi, but I also would say Johnny Jordan too. I mean, remember, when you're the center, you're making all the calls. Yep. He, he's the guy that, that is you know making the reads, chatting with the quarterback. And Johnny Jordan's a very vocal guy. And, and I really I, – I liked Johnny Jordan's game when he came here to Virginia Tech. And I think, you know, if Brock Hoffman wasn't there, I mean, he obviously would have been the starter all last year. Um, you know, and – I I think Virginia Tech is going to be lucky that he came back because imagine trying to replace a center, you know, a new guy, no experience. That's a lot of stress for both an offensive line coach, both an offensive coordinator. Johnny Jordan's a guy that Virginia Tech's going to be able to rely on. I think those two guys, Jamsey and Johnny Jordan, are, are going to – they're the oldest guys in the room, and they're going to be the guys that – that kind of keep everybody in line and, and are those veteran leaders. All right. Yeah. The, the Rudolph thing, you don't put that many guys in the NFL. You don't have that many all Americans without being a great teacher. And it's something, you know, I've talked with Brian. He's you know been my friend for 20 plus years and our discussions get deep on it and he's helped me learn. So, and when you hear Hanson say that, because I remember those quotes, like he's taught us so much in this short period of time. Again, not trying to knock anybody, but it's one of those things where maybe the other guy taught you the same stuff. It's just like Brian said, it's the style and it's clicking, which is great. Now let's talk about the second line. <clears throat> this is what we had from the scrimmage. And if, if you're seeing things different, I know the scrimmage was, you know, a couple weeks ago, you tell us. But we've got William Jones at right tackle. William Jones is an IMG walk-on. He was a three-star. 
Bryce Goodner, the guard out of Tennessee. Hunter McLean, the true freshman who literally just committed days, days before, you know, signing day. Um, Nikolai Bojanowski, I couldn't tell you who that is. I think just somebody that's been on the roster. I've noticed the names. Bob Schickett, left guard, the JUCO transfer from Utah. And Dimitri Gigordius, who was the IUPI, PUI basketball transfer at 6'9", who we thought was coming here to play tight end, they've moved him on the line. Brian put this on the thing. Depth is spooky hours right now on the offensive line, isn't it? Yeah. I, well, and I mean, compare this to where Tech was sitting a year ago or two years ago. Oh, two years ago. Well, just the amount of depth. <clears throat> I mean – and that's what happens when you've got a good offensive line coach in Vance Vice that produces talent that goes on to the NFL. That's just that's just what happens. And I think that's you got to give Vance Vice credit because he put guys in the NFL. Christian Darisaw, yeah, he had injuries his last year, but Christian Darisaw was really, really good. I'm not sure how many of these guys are going to get drafted this year, but but between the trio, but Cedar Smith is without a doubt going. Oh yeah, but and I have a feeling that I think. Whether the guys get drafted or not, I, I have a feeling, you know, that I think all three guys could have a chance to get drafted, definitely. But I think they'll all end up on a team. Brock Hoffman, Lucita Smith, um, Luke Tenuta. They're all really talented guys. And that goes to show you, you know, Tenuta is the youngest of the group. Yeah. That just goes to show you what kind of culture up front Vance Vice had, had cultivated. But, yeah, I mean, the, the depth is, is very scary. You know, Bob Schick is kind of the, the veteran of that group. He's the guy that actually has experience at, at some level. It is Juco, but he has some experience that's not high school ball. For the rest of them, none of those guys have ever really taken any snaps, and, and that's kind of scary. So if you're a Virginia Tech fan, you're praying for no injuries because that would be, be killer. But also remember, this is March 31st. There's plenty of time, especially late spring, early summer, to find guys in the transfer portal. And you know Joe Rudolph is going to be sitting there trying to contact guys, trying to get guys in here. I think if you can get maybe seven, I think seven would be a good number to have just of guys you feel very comfortable with starting day one. And this is counting Hanson, a guy who I don't believe he's ever started a game before. No. So, no. so yeah. you've essentially got four guys that have started games before, and and Clements hasn't even started that many games. But that's not a lot of depth. I know Joe Rudolph, you know, he's probably sitting there biting his fingernails going, making him a little bit nervous because just how, how little depth there is. But I, if you're a Virginia Tech fan, you're sitting there looking, and it's Joe Rudolph on the offensive line. I'm, I'm probably sitting there thinking – all right, he's going to figure it out. And, and I think the bottom line is as long as there's no injuries, and there always seem to be injuries on the offensive line, it's Boys. a knock on wood. But, like, th- this offensive line I think will be pretty good if everybody stays healthy. All right. Let me ask this. Of the five that we've mentioned or the six we mentioned on the two deep, can any of those become that seventh to help out? Just from what you've seen and what people are saying. I know we got a couple more that I think what Jack Jack got some reps with the second team today. Is that Jack correct? Hollyfield. Yeah, I think I think Jack Hollyfield's a guy that uh wasn't on the list, but but I think he's 
he's been repping there. I don't know how much, but um, I I would say if anybody, it'd probably be Schick simply because he has the most experience. But if Hunter, you know, Hunter McLean's already practicing at center, you know, that tells you how far along he's coming. It's tough though, because so many of these guys are just so young. They have no experience, a lot of just raw talent. I think it's, I think, and doesn't really answer your question, but I think it's too early to tell because Joe Rudolph hasn't had enough time with them. I mean, think about this. They've had spring practice or what, six, seven practices. Joe Rudolph hasn't, Joe Rudolph's barely had seven practices with the, with these guys. He's still trying to figure out where, where they play best. If you remember, Something Vance Feist did, which I'm sure Rudolph will do, is he played different guys at different positions. So a guy like Lasita Smith, while while he's not great at tackle, he was comfortable out there if needed to be because he practiced there. Yeah. Kind of same thing. Brock Hoffman, when he had to play guard in the West Virginia game, I know he wasn't great, but it's better than throwing a freshman into the fire, you know? True. And I know Bob Schick was uh, was a tackle before he transferred in, so that that gives him a little bit of um, you know position flexibility there, where he might be able to slot out to right tackle, say in a pinch, uh, even though he may be a better fit at the guard slot at the power five level. Um, so I mean, you've kind of already touched on this a little bit, but you think we go shopping in the spring once once uh, this practice and, and spring game wrap up? I mean, I think you try whether, whether, whether you end up buying something, I don't know. But, but I think if if you're, if you're Joe Rudolph, if you're Tyler Bowen, you're sitting there and you're trying to get some experience. You want an experienced guy that can come in. Maybe not even one. If you can get two, you want two, you know, yes, you got to get down under the scholarship limit, but you want talent and and you also want guys that are going to fit your culture. So they're definitely going to be looking for, for, for some guys, that will be able to fill those shoes if it's the right fit. Well, before we go any further, we got a, we got a big shout out here from Dwight Vick for you, David. Says you're oh, killing it. Thanks, yeah, Dwight. very insightful. I'm actually rocking the uh, Victory Life oh, hoodie nice. tonight. Awesome. Yeah, so shout out to Dwight Vick. We appreciate you uh, listening in tonight. Always, Dwight. Always appreciate the love. A couple weeks ago, he sat here with us. Um he mentioned you said we try to go shopping, so we need to all be looking at the transfer portal. Tackle or guard? What do you think the preference would be? I think tackle probably. Okay. Because if you get a tackle, you can slide Janzy inside. Okay. Well, Janzy's comfortable there. But honestly, here's the thing if you get a guard, you can keep Janzy at, at tackle. You know, like you, the right side of the line's pretty solid. Yeah. You got Parker Clements at tackle, Cade Moore at right guard. Those two guys are, are very, very solid. And Jansy's solid too. So it's kind of just whatever's available, if that makes sense. You know, if you've got a guy, a good guard you can slide in, okay, well, Jansy stays at tackle. If you got a good tackle, Jansy can slide inside. It's kind of, I guess, what fits best. Got it. All right, let's roll on here. Something else Brent Pry said in the opening presser that kind of caught my eye, and then I kind of laughed and I thought about the next position. He said, we've got to have the ability to understand what's important for each position coach. When I look at the running back and I think about Stu Holt, I'm sure Stu Holt's first thought was, what's important? How do I get nine guys meaningful reps so I can break them down? That's all I could think about because, you know, when Brian broke down the tape on Tyler Bowen's, you know, offense, you know, it's usually a three-back system. 
you know, we saw Malachi already run a spring brawler award. We saw him run great last year into the season. Like most freshmen, he, he, he ran out of gas. Um, so let's kind of put Malachi. He he's in there. Who else do you think can become the two and three in this offense from the running back room currently of nine and only one have transferred out? Well, I'll tell you what the depth chart. I'm sure you guys saw this earlier. I'll tell you what, what depth chart was today. I the depth chart today. It. So today at practice, this is this is the way they were going through reps at practice. I'll read off the the nine to you. It was Jalen Holston at at the one. Okay. Malachi Thomas two. Chance Black three. Okay. Bryce Duke four. Jalen Hampton five. Kenji Christian six. Marco Lee, Jalen Brunson, and then Keyshawn King. So that's the list. Now I don't at Keyshawn King at nine. People were asking questions, and I think it's, I think honestly, he's going to be a guy. And, and Prime mentioned it yesterday when talking about position changes. I think he's going to be a guy they're going to look to see. Can he play wide receiver? It, you know, can we can we get him in space somewhere? Because like you mentioned, there are two so many guys in the running back room. And let me read read you some of these comments, uh, these notes I took from from when we got to sit down and talk to all 10 assistant coaches, which was really awesome. Um, this, this was back March 1st. So it's been almost a month. Um, the, the, the day of the Louisville men's basketball game, we had the opportunity to sit and chat with all the assistant coaches and meet those guys. And, and Stu Holt said he, he wants his running back room to be six guys. He wants Makes six. Makes sense. Which you, you think, okay, that's, that's cutting three guys out. Um, and he said he there are three attributes that he looks for in a running back. And he's never really had a guy that has all three, but he's found plenty of guys that have two, a combination of the two, and they all turned out to be really, really good. So it's you're tough enough between the tackles, you don't get caught, and you have vision. You either have that or you don't. And, and those three guys, he mentioned as, as guys that, have, that stood out so far, he mentioned Holston. And you mentioned Bryce Duke. And that was back on March 1st when they hadn't started spring practice yet. Okay. My my guess is what you'll see is Holston and Malachi Thomas share the majority of those reps. And I think you'll, you'll they'll find Chance Price yesterday. Chance Black, they have to get him on the field because he's yeah. that talented. He they is. they want him on the field. So whether it's at running back, whether it's a kick returner, you know, Chance Black's going to see the field. I think the other guy is Bryce Duke. I, I think you could you could honestly probably potentially redshirt him because you're not necessarily going to need him. Now, if the option comes available to play him, obviously he can play in up to four games, you know. So I think those right now are the four guys – that's what, what it seems like. I think Keyshawn King's the guy that could break into it. But right now, you know, I think he's just been – he's fighting his own battle. And, and where I think he – the coaches, coaching staff trying to figure out, like I said before, where, where he fits best. But, but overall, those are the three, four guys I think are at the top. And I'm not saying – you know, because as Stu Holt said, he told us, you know, if there's a hot hand, we're going to feed the hot hand. You know, so if it's a if Jalen Holston or Malachi Tom is breaking tackles and going off, they're going to give him the ball. You know, yeah. but but ideally he'd like to have a six man rotation. And I think, as you guys mentioned, Tyler Bone would like to have three preferable guys. I think those are the three, four 
you know, with Bryce Duke being the, the fourth right there on the edge that, that you'll see. So let's talk about the attrition that, that could potentially happen there. Um, I know we've talked about, you know, Chance Black, maybe Keyshawn King, potentially, you know, being in a different uh, position meeting room come fall. <laughs> um, are there some guys that you think might might hit the portal from this group? I know we're looking at probably two to three, uh, either switching positions or, or, or hitting the portal. Is there is there a name on the list that you think um, could be one of those guys that's in the portal at the end of spring? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to speculate. And here's the other thing. A lot of those guys are young. Yeah. Um, Jalen, Jalen Hampton, Kenji Christian, and Jalen Brunson are all really, really young. The one guy that, that's not – that's towards the bottom of the group is Marco Lee. And, and you know, I would not be surprised if anybody kind of five or six down ends up transferring because that's just the reality of, of football or college athletics period today. Yeah. If, you, if it, it, you know, but it also depends on, on their situation. Do, you know, do they come to Virginia Tech just to play football or do they actually like Virginia Tech? You know, and, and I have not had the opportunity, unfortunately, to get a chance to talk to all those guys. But, um, you know, I would not be surprised if, if kind of anybody in that in that lower group ends up transferring out simply because that's the, re- again, that's the reality of today's college athletics world. If you, if you're a guy and you want to play and you're not playing, why would you not, you know, hop in the transfer portal and go find somewhere else where you feel valued, where you can get those reps. So I, it would not surprise me if Hampton, Christian, Lee Brunson, you know, even King, depending on what happens with his situation. Yeah. Uh, and you got to remember, maybe it's not necessarily even a playing time thing. Maybe it's the culture. Brent Pry is creating a culture here. He's trying to cultivate a competition culture, a hate to lose culture. And if those guys don't fit, you know, he, he said there, there's going to be attrition. Yes, he did. Whether it comes from the very, very top or the very, very bottom. I mean, there, there's going to be some. I think it's too early to kind of tell who it might be, but I would expect some. And, you know, I think – I don't know if they'll get down to the number of six before come summer or fall, but um, I know that's probably what they're, they're shooting for. Okay. okay. That makes sense. Yeah, it probably guys that that don't have that position flexibility would be in, in uh, you know potentially guys as you said like Marco Lee that are further along in their collegiate career. You know that might be guys to watch for that. And, and and then with the other guys you mentioned though too, they are still young. So if they're buying into the culture, they could walk in and say, Coach, I don't want to leave. I love what you do here, and I'm a freshman. I've got time. I've got time. Yeah. I, I can grow. And then knowing, you know. Jalen Holston's gone after next year. Yeah. So there is that potential battle for the for one of the three spots. So it's going to be super interesting. But I love what Brent Price said yesterday about like guys like Chance Black and Keyshawn being talented guys and saying our job. How did he say it exactly? It, it really caught my eye. Was when we move you. It's I'm kind of ad libbing here, but when he said when we move you, we're trying to do what's best for you to get on the field quicker. And by doing yeah. so, it's helping us. And when I hear helping us, it means we're winning games. And I love hearing that because that's something – and you're younger than us, David, but we know you followed the program for a while. That was always done with Frank Beamer. Always. Always. If a guy came in as a quarterback, a lot of times they didn't stick at quarterback, but they became elite safeties. Cam Chance, yeah. Tone Exum. And when you see that culture coming back, it is about competition, and it is about, hey, listen, 
go over here and fight. You have the capabilities of being on the field if you go to this room. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Let me, you, got, you got tight ends that became uh, quarterbacks that became tight ends, tight ends that became all American tackles. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's tight ends uh, became quarterbacks. And they got drafted as quarterbacks and then became elite NFL tight ends again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let, let me read you. Let me read you what he actually said yesterday. You, this, is, this is, this is, it's not everything because he said a lot yesterday, but of course you can go find it. This yeah. is part of what he said yesterday. Um, the conversation was about strengths and weaknesses. And let's see, let's give this other spot a shot and see if we can't get a little bit better play out of you right now. See if we can get you on the field quicker, an opportunity to start in the two deep for somebody buried on the depth chart. An opportunity, an opportunity to earn some playing time. Somebody that's a backup has a chance to be a starter at another spot. Lots of reasons. He said, we're giving Connor Blumrick an opportunity to catch the ball and see what he can do. To me, the spring is the time to do that. And to me, that makes perfect sense. You got plenty of time. Why not mess around and see what guys can go where? I mean, you got to remember, while all these guys are used to Virginia Tech, besides early enrollees, they know Virginia Tech. The coaching staff is still trying to get to know them. Yeah. I mean, that's why when, when you see pictures from practice, every single player has their name taped on in ye- on a yellow like yellow tape written in pen, their name on their helmet. So all the co- you know, so everybody knows who they are, and that's just you know they're still trying. They're, they're experimenting. That's essentially what they're doing. They're trying to figure out who can play where and. Can you blame them? I mean, can, imagine if you find out that, wow, Connor Blumberg is a really good wide receiver. You know, <laughs> like I, I'm that that's just me, you know, spewing. But like th- those kinds of things can only be possible if you experiment. Yep. We got like Bucky Hodges came in as a as a quarterback, had, but had similar type build, not not quite as uh Blumberg not quite as tall or, or, or big as, as Bucky, but I mean the same type of uh, overall stature, I think. And um, you know, if, if he can go out there and catch some balls and create some mismatches on the edge, especially with how uh, Bowen likes to use tight ends, um, that that's something that, that that we should be able to take advantage of. Um, who was it? Fa- was it Faison Odom at uh, at Fordham that was like six seven, six eight? Um, and and he was able to make a lot of plays out there, so um, it might be a similar type role for him here. But let's let's move on to the since we're talking about tight ends a little bit, let's talk about the wide receivers and tight ends. Um, Price said that you know we look at the uh, the depth chart. We'll, we'll talk about that in the fall, spring is when you kind of see see what you got. Take every all the depth with a grain of salt. We've seen a lot of different. Uh, different kind of starting three wide receivers out there. Kind of the first week, it looked like it was uh, Jaden Blue, Stephen Gosnell, Caleb Smith. Um, we've seen uh, Dwayne Lofton and Christian Moss work in there, a little bit of Jalen Jones. Um, who is, in your observations, who is lined up in the slot in these groups? Well, it's funny because Jaden Blue yesterday, well, we, we had a chance to talk to him. First of all, he's an amazing kid and, and – such a resilient kid um, with, with what happened. I don't want to go into detail about it, but, but um, he's such a, he's, a, he's, he was very open and, and very just, you know, mature. You can tell he's, he's been through a lot. Now, obviously he transferred to Temple, very talented kid. And he straight up told us 
oh, I love playing in the slot. So he's he's a, a slot guy. And, and my guess is that he'll be in the slot and you'll see Caleb Smith in his natural position out wide. Um, it's funny because to, you know, Fontel Mines – uh, right before said we're pl- you know we're throwing everybody the fire and this is something I actually wrote about today um, I wrote a story about this today where they're the Fontel Mines is, is throwing everybody at every single position you know he wants everybody to know how to run the offense kind of like positionless football per okay. se yeah. like, like like in basketball you want everybody to know every single role for every single player so if you end up having to put somebody in that position, they know what to do, if that makes sense. Yes. So but my, my guess is you'll see blue in the slot and the guy like Caleb Smith out wide. But, um, you know, as of now, everybody's practicing at every single position. That's just the way it's going right now. All right. So we've mentioned six. We've heard Blumrick out there. Um, do you And you've mentioned blue. And blue has the production. Of all these guys on here, Blue has the production when he had a good quarterback. Do you think he's the biggest playmaker when it comes to fall? Or do you think someone's going to come out of this group not named Jaden Blue? I think it'll be Blue. I think – I don't want to say he's the real deal, but I, I think he can be a very solid option. I think he can put up really good numbers. I mean, he even said it. He's like, the reason I transferred – you know, I, I wanted to leave Temple was because – you know, I could I didn't have a consistent quarterback, and he said it hurt. You know that his numbers dropped off. And Temple just had a problem with quarterbacks, and I think here, assuming Brad Glenn and Tyler Bowen can can get consistent quarterback play, I think Jaden Blue's a guy. You know, it, it would help to have other options around him, so it's not like, you know, they're double teaming him and and yeah. he's the only guy. But I, I think there are some reliable options, you know, especially at tight end. Nick Gallo and Drake Julius are, are pretty solid, viable options too. And um, you know, Caleb Smith's pretty good. Um, but I, I think Jaden Blue's a guy that will be a standout receiver come fall. You know, he, he's he's looked good in everything I've seen. And um, he kind of talks the talk, walks the walk. Like that's just that's just the way it goes. And I think from what I've what I've seen so far, I think everybody's going to be really impressed with him when they see him, you know, in, in a season come fall. That's awesome to hear. Uh, let Let's pivot a little bit to somebody a little further down the list that we didn't necessarily hear right at the gate. Uh, Dalen Wright, um, he won a Spring Baller Award, I think, for practice four. Um, how is he coming along so far? When we were looking at his tape uh, coming in coming into Virginia Crush. Tech, we were like, oh. Okay, I, I like I like this kid's game. So how is he looking so far? Well, it's funny because he and um, he and all all the other guys in that group that you kind of mentioned. It's funny because I actually asked Fontel Mines about this, and um, what what he said was essentially that these guys have talent; they just don't have the reps. Uh, let me read you the exact quote he said. Um, so I asked him about the young guys in the room. He's like, I've seen progress. I tell him all the time, progress, not perfection. I'm not seeking perfection. I'm asking everyone to make progress and for everybody to continue to get better and continue to develop. He said this, I thought Dallin had a solid week. He had a really good day early in the week, and I challenged him immediately after practice. I said, listen, I want to see what you can do the next practice. This one's done. This one's over with. I want to see what you do the next practice. 
and he mentioned Christian Moss. He said Christian Moss is a super talented kid. And he said, yeah, we can label them as unproven guys, but they haven't gotten an opportunity to prove themselves. They'll get that this spring and fall. So I think for Dallin Wright, he's clearly impressed. Dwayne Lofton also won a spring baller award. I think that group of guys, I wrote about this today, Tech needs a couple guys to come out of that group that just help carry the offense where there is some depth behind Caleb Smith, Jaden Blue. Who's going to be that guy? And so far, it seems like there have been a lot of guys that have impressed. We obviously haven't gotten a chance a chance to see it, but um, from from what I can tell, you know, Fontel Mines, Tyler Bowen, everybody's kind of, um, you know, everybody thinks they're moving in the right direction, which is the good news. It is, and I, and I love what you and, and it's great getting these tidbits from you about some of the quotes, especially about progress, not perfection, because again, that's a teaching mentality. You don't need to be perfect. Just continue to get better every day. Growth mindset. Growth mindset. It's 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 definitely they did some corporate training somewhere. But I'm going to flip to this because you already mentioned you mentioned Drake. You mentioned Gallo. Gallo's already run a spring ball award. Brian's been looking at the tape about you know how Bowen has used his tight ends. From what you're seeing in the times you've been at practice, how are they utilizing the tight ends? You know, are they? In line, are they out in slot? Are they in H back? Where are we seeing them on the field? Usually, in line or in the slot, but it's it's tough because obviously most of the the reps we're seeing it's a quarterback throwing routes to tight ends who are just there. So that's not a good answer to your question, but I don't think we've seen enough yet. And I think honestly, uh, something like the spring game will will be more telling. What I will say is, what I will say is. All the tight ends, you know, a lot of them, a lot of it's been running routes, you know, physically like, um, you know, whether it's running a post or uh, simple routes to get reps. That's kind of the basis of what we've seen from the tight ends. And I guess it's kind of, it's kind of hard when you don't have a defender to kind of replicate what a tight end is going to do in a a game a a little bit. Not as easy as a wide receiver where you kind of got the sideline to play off of. Um, but, But so far, I mean, Look, the tight end position might be the position Virginia Tech does not have to worry like has has to worry about the least because you got Nick Gallo and Drake Julius, two guys that have been here before and they've been here for, for a while yeah. and they're very experienced guys. And Tyler Bowen, like you guys said, likes to use his tight ends. Expect two, three tight end sets. Um, you know, I, I like everything we've seen in practice. Just the way they've they've caught the ball. Has been pretty good. Now, I think there is a question, and not necessarily pertains to, to this year, but what happens when Julius and Gallo leave? Who, who's behind? What Where's the depth behind? Um, but obviously, that's not necessarily a question that has to be answered this year. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit, because uh, we're curious about, um, you know, Benji Gosnell. Is he out there? Is he getting a lot of scrimmage reps and practice reps, or is he still limited from his injury? Yeah, he's he's still rehabbing and he's doing some light work right now. And um, I think he he'll probably be like full go if that's how you want to put it. More like July, August, kind of around okay. around summer ball. He he's still rehabbing. Is is Saint Germain in? Does he an early enrollee? He is. Yes, he actually. You know, he was. I don't want to. 
I'm trying to remember where exactly they were today in reps. And obviously, like, not every single position group where people are repping pertains to where they're on the depth chart. But, but yeah, I mean, he was one of the guys we got to see at practice today. Um, and, of course, he's probably the youngest tight end in that room. But, um, but you know, catching the ball well, I, that's what a tight end does you know, besides block. So that's good news. That's a good sign. Good start. And, you can't, and we can't see that much blocking in any sort of practices, you know, yeah. based on AD NCAA rules. And obviously you don't want – you want to hold that back for some of the scrimmages and obviously the spring game. All right, so we've just put a bow on the offense here with David Cunningham of Tech Sideline. Before we go to the defensive side of the ball, we are going to take a quick pause with a message from our digital partners. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode. All right, and we are back. Different so, house. Different house. I know. Are you going to re-record that eventually? I will have to, right? <laughs> well, I mean, you don't have to, but yeah, that is what it is. It'll I, it'll be it'll be less awkward. <laughs> Continuity issues. <laughs> All right, so let's flip now defensive side, and something that Pride talked about obviously is there are going to be people who are missing and limited this spring. And I feel like the defensive line is a spot that no one needed to miss because we're already thin there. Um, And it's already made us, you know, the three deep was – I saw Nigel Simmons. God bless the kid's soul. God bless his heart. He was on the two deep for the opening scrimmage. Now, Lakeem Rudolph and Gunnar Givens both got moved. The downsizing um, effect, as Brent Price said the other day. How is this helping with the depth there? We know Mario Kendricks is pretty much not going to be playing. Um, but how are those two guys moving over going to help with folks getting reps? Well, I, I think Rudolph helps the ends, obviously. Um, and then Gunnar Gibbons moved from end to tackle. Um, I don't know if it necessarily helps in, in terms of a reps perspective because they're not moving the guys because of reps. They're moving the guys because that's where they think, you know, Lakeem Rudolph's 240 pounds. Holy JC, you know He's gained that much weight? Yeah. I, I heard he put on another, like, 15 pounds since uh, that's what fall. That's what J.C. Price, you know, told us yesterday. He, what he, about – did Gunner gain, like, 15 or 20 pounds over uh, He didn't say what Gunner's, Gunner Givens' weight was at. But, okay. but, I mean, think about it. These are guys that they, they are moving them because, like I mentioned before – this is where they fit the best, and this is where they think they can get the most potential. And they want speed as close to the ball as possible. And, and it's kind of tough because essentially you're moving a guy from end. You, you, you have one more number at tackle, and I guess one less number at linebacker, and the number at end kind of doesn't really change. I don't know if reps numbers really really change, really make much of a difference there. But um, overall, just the, the adjustments – you know, it's because that's where the staff thinks these guys fit the best. And as we mentioned before, yeah, it's probably a little bit tough to to 
scrimmage or, or to run through stuff at times. But, you know, in, in all honesty, w- would you rather b- not be able to do that, be a little bit short in some areas, or, or would you rather put guys at, at the right position to succeed? Yeah, you definitely want them at the right position, the position that you think they're going to have the best success come fall. Uh, and, and that's best to get out of the way in, in spring when you have, you know, you know less stakes at, at play there. So I'm definitely with that. Um, thinking also looking at the fall, um, you know, you're, we're getting some some young guys, some reps here. Um, you know, Cole, Stretch, uh, we're getting Gunner in there with, with some reps now okay. with the move to D-tackle. You know, it's causing a pain point now a little bit in terms of the depth, but is that something that you think might pay some dividends in fall with, you know, getting a lot of these younger guys, some of those key reps against, you know, the second team or the third team versus being buried further on the depth chart. Yeah, I think so. I think that, yeah, definitely. I think, I I mean, one of the reasons why JC Price mentioned it, it, you know, Gunner, he he said Gunner Givens moving from end to tackle, like that gives him a better chance to play right away, you know, and Cole Nelson is a guy on the defensive end. We got a chance to talk to him yesterday. Great kid. And, He's a guy that really got a lot of reps last year, probably when he shouldn't have, simply because, like, just attrition-wise, you know, that's why he ended up getting the reps. And it's going to pay off this year. I think you're going to see a lot of those guys, Cole Nelson, um, Will Panay, those guys that either got a little bit of reps last year or have come along this spring get some reps I'm not sure how much because obviously I think a lot of it will depend on injuries and, and attrition, but but I do think it'll help farther down the line because imagine worst case scenario you have a tackle or end get hurt. Well, now it's kind of next man up, and um, you know I, I think it helps a lot of cases where if you've had a guy that's been practicing, you know Gunnar Givens been practicing at tackle, now he's got a chance to actually be prepared if he needs to be used in that scenario. I agree, I agree with that. And uh, our, our buddy, uh, Coach Robbie Compton, makes a good point here. Um, you know, you get smaller and faster. Uh, they give guards a lot more problems in one-on-one situations in the pass rush. Um, so that that's another thing to, to think about with Gunner moving in there. You know, we, we've shown that he has good footwork. He's been a tight end. He's he's worked some at tackle. He's done other things on the defensive line in high school. So, um, you know, moving a guy like that that's able to, to keep the weight, to keep that, that bend, and uh, and that speed that's going to cause some guards some problems in those one on one situations. Absolutely. All right. So obviously, you know, last week got a portal transfer in Fladarius Payne from the seven five seven who was out at Nebraska comes home. Everything we're seeing is he was an outside linebacker there, but it makes more sense that he plays in. That obviously shores up the defensive end depth even more. Even with the move of Gunner inside. At a more a position where he's probably going to, you know, succeed more. Do you think we get in the market in the portal for a D tackle, or with Kendricks hopefully coming back healthy, and with Pollard and with Fuga and with Panay playing a three technique? Do do, you, do we dive in there, or do you think we're done on the line on the D line? I will say this: I think you want like. I don't know if this sounds good or bad, but but as a coach, and this you can probably attribute this to basketball too. You want to hit the portal and like get as much talent out of the portal as you can, 
you know, because because guess what? If they bring in another end that's really, really good, that's more competition. That's more guys in that room that can back each other up. So I think if you're a coach, you're sitting there going, you know, who like they're trying to bring in the best talent possible, whether it's out of the portal or obviously the recruiting class closed for the window. But but just across the board, you want to bring in the best talent to create the best competition to get ever to you know to make everybody else better. And I think in this case, yes, you want to go after defensive tackles, but it wouldn't hurt to have another defensive end either, you know, yeah. to create some depth. Maybe, you know, it obviously all varies depending on what guys are in the portal, you know, what talent is available. But I think if if you're J.C. Price, you're sitting there going, who can we get? What can I what, – what guys can I bring in to make this team better? And in all honesty – Attrition, like I mentioned before, is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Guys are going to end up leaving the program, whether it's because of playing time reasons, whether it's because of them just not, you know, flowing and and enjoying the culture. Whether it just not maybe it's not their thing. That's going to happen. You want to bring guys in that fit the culture and guys that help make your team better. So you know, to answer your question. Like, yeah, you want to target a defensive tackle, but if you can get an end, you know, if you can bring in a guy that's end, here's the other thing. Who's to say you bring in an end and he's going to end up playing tackle because that's where J.C. Price thinks he you know, he fits the best. Like, this is the, the type of scenario we're in where Lakeem Rudolph, who had been practicing at linebacker, he's now defensive end, yeah. you know? So, so you're – I think it's recruiting the – you're trying to get the best talent to come and then saying, all right, Let's see where you fit best in our system. Yeah. And there's guys that are like either big in or tweener that you know you might be able to slide in there to D tackle, even though they're they've been a D in at their previous school or you know, whatever it may be. So that that's definitely an opportunity uh that I hope we explore because I definitely feel like even D N D tackle, any any depth you can get on that line, because ideally you want, you know, uh, your third line to be able to give you a, 10 plus solid snaps a game. You want to be able to go three deep if you can um, to get fresh bodies out there. So, you you, you know, you're not, you're not winded. You're not, uh, you know, you're able to give that hundred percent every snap, but let, let's turn over to linebackers here a little bit. Um, when coach Pratt was talking in his, in his presser, he was talking about, you don't, I want to see guys that aren't panicking, aren't in a hurry, understand their fundamentals and then follow those and, and make the right play. Uh, and one of the key positions in this defense is going to be that that Sam or that uh, that field linebacker. Um, when when spring practice opened, it looked like the McDonald, McDonald twins were kind of alternating there. I know they both changed positions since there. Then one one's now <laughs> that uh, Will backer, the other a defensive end. Who are some of the key players at that uh, that field linebacker position at this point? Well, you know it's tough because. Um... <laughs> It's, it's. I tell you what. It's tough to keep track of who's who's practicing where. Like it's easy with with some of the other positions, like tackle and end are easier. But like at linebacker, you know, Prime mentioned yesterday that a guy like you know, like J.R. Walker. This was a week ago, I think. You know, uh, Alan Tisdale said J.R. Walker's playing. You know, practicing at Sam, but he also said Tyler Matheny and Ben Skinner are there too. But like. Brent Pry yesterday mentioned that Tyler Matheny is, is, 
yeah, he's practicing in the mic too. So like they're they're all inter, you know, they're all moving around. And I guess that's the that's the beauty of it. Um I I would expect a, a guy I, here's what I would expect. I would expect it to be a, a kind of a, a hybrid guy. I mentioned J.R. Walker. Um, Keonta Jenkins got moved. Keonta Jenkins is a guy. Chamari, like not necessarily Chamari Connor, but somebody in that mold where they've got a little bit of experience at linebacker, but can also play safety because that's kind of what you're you're expecting. I, I don't really have a good answer for you just because guys are just moving in and out, moving in and out, and it's hard for me to keep up with with who's practicing there because honestly, like I don't even know if the coaches know who's practicing there. But this is a good thing for us on a podcast. You, you know, podcast with TSL writing because it seems like Brent Price potentially giving you guys a new article every day just on the <laughs> linebacker rotations. <laughs> Not even kidding. All right, so let's talk about this. Um, Dax Hollyfield, Alan Tisdale, entrance starters for multiple years um, since you know what nineteen excuse me, since 20 and 19, how have they looked in the prime Marv system? I mean, does it look comfortable? Because this is my first thought. Brent Pry's system is essentially a modern-day Bud Foster system. Tisdale and Dax recruited to a Bud Foster system. No knock on Jay Ham, but his was different. How are they looking so far? And I know it's difficult with linebacker, but best observations. Yeah, from everything I've I've heard, you know, I think we had an opportunity to talk with Dax a couple weeks ago, um, and, and seen they're looking fine. And, you know, and and a guy like Dax was a, I remember talking to him, um, not in March, but back in like February, January, and he was he was stoked to have Brent Pride as a head coach because he's a linebackers guy, you know, yeah. and, and and that that excites him, and um, you know, I think. The transition—I don't want to say it's been easy or hard for them, but for, from everything I've noticed, they've transitioned pretty well, and it's been a, a, almost a seamless transition. And um, you know, I think it's cool in practice uh, last week. It was cool watching Sean Quinn and, and Chris Marv get after those linebackers, you know, and really um, kind of rough them up a little bit, you know, and make them make them dive on the ground for balls or, you know, do whatever, go, go through these intense drills. And, um, you know, from everything I noticed, you know, Tisdale and, and Hollyfield have, have both looked pretty good. So, um, you know, Brent Pry mentioned it just because you started for three or four years doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to, you know, you know, just because you started three years doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be starting for a fourth. However, I would expect guys like Dax and Alan Tisdale, just because, there's one, there's not necessarily anybody behind them, but two, also because they have been, for the most part, pretty solid at both those positions. I would expect those guys to to be the headliners at those spots, you know, come fall. Okay. Okay. And and probably I'd say if there's one thing that Mike could shake that up a little bit would probably be a player like Keyshawn Artis. And Pry mentioned his he has position versatility. He could probably play the will, play the mic. Um, they said they tried him some at Mike. Um, mentioned, you know, he has to get more vocal uh, if that's going to, if Mike's going to be a spot for him. Does he have the ability to to 
you know, go after a starting spot at Mike if he improves that vocal leadership this offseason? I think potentially. And you think about it, when you're at Mike, he's probably vying with Dak Solifield for a position. Yeah. You know, so that's the head-to-head battle. But I do think I, – I thought it was interesting the way Pry talked about it, Brian, because he kind of mentioned, like, you know, he's got the talent. He, he's got the leadership skills to play Mike, you know. He just isn't as vocal as we need him to be. Yeah. And he's also got the talent to, to play Will if needed. So, you know, I think I think he could definitely challenge for that starting spot with Holyfield, you know. But I think, again, it all goes back to leadership skills and, and can he be the vocal leader? Because you don't even need to watch Virginia Tech football, you know, the defense play for five minutes to know that Dax Holyfield is the most vocal guy on the field. Yeah, you know that that's just that's just the it way ju- it jumps goes. off. <laughs> yeah, and so you know you're in a sense vying with the guy who's the most vocal leader on that defense in a lot of ways for a starting spot. But I definitely think it's a possibility. I think it, you know it's not necessarily on field talent. It comes back to you know who is he as a as a leader as a player. You know, when he's just standing there, you know, in a huddle, per se, you know, yeah. is he is he a leader or is he, you know, not that he's not a leader when he's at a different position, but when you, like Pry said, you've got to be vocal in that spot. Yeah. We all know, again, how vocal Dax is. And a lot of it with the mic, too, is you're barking out calls. You're barking out calls to the line, your linebacking partners. You're helping communicate with the back end and who, whichever safety is, you know, making the coverage adjustments. And if you're not vocal, if you're not loud, if you're not energetic, you you have to be because there's calls coming in from the sideline. You know, there's a shift. Okay, you've got to obtain for that. Somebody needs to come up and, you know, the boundary safety or the field safety has to come up and play man on him. And if you're not being vocal, that's not going to last long because people aren't going to be in their right spots doing their right job. So, um, I hope for him he can over the next few months gain that because he still has eligibility of a couple years left, and maybe that's what this year is. Is he gets he finds his voice, and if he and if he goes out there and wins a mic, great. If not, hopefully he finds it during the year where next spring we're sitting here talking with you, Dave, and it's like Keyshawn Audis is vocal. He is a dog. He's barking at people. He's telling them where to go. That's what I hope happens. Yeah, because Pride mentioned how good his instincts were. Oh, yeah. And, and we've seen that jump off on tape in some of the, the games where he's had some significant time, especially towards the end of the year um, when when you know some guys were out and they were mixing things up a little bit on the defense. Uh, Keyshawn had a couple really big games and some some big stops uh, you know, getting in there from the from the mic position, getting in there when he was uh, you know playing backer as well. So I'd like to see him come along. Any opportunity to get him on the field is going to, I think, be good for us. Hopefully he can come along at the mic position, whether that's this year or, or next year. All right, let's roll here. Last uh, positional unit, we're not going to cover special teams. Um, I think Peter Apparently Moore, we skipped a few sessions on that because of just trying to get bad the fundamentals down and weather and everything else. So yeah. yeah, we don't need anybody out there on special teams when it's a snowstorm in Blacksburg. No, we can do that during a game. Uh, the last game we attended was a was the Pitts game in 2019 when it was an absolute monsoon, and that was fun. All right, let's go to the defensive back room. And something Pride mentioned was talking about 
building blocks approach and practicing and installing. And I hear installing, and then I start seeing four of the first five spring ball awards go to defensive back. Both starting safeties, two corners. I mean, do you think this group is just clicking the fastest because it's the deepest, because there are a lot of guys who's had a ton of reps? Or is it something else in play of why they're standing out so much? Well, I think partially that and also partially Derek Jones. I think he's probably just a really good corner, you know, quarterback coach, him and Pearson Prelude at safety. I think those, I think that was probably the spot you'd say outside of maybe tight end where, and probably even more so, just defensive backs as a whole, most returning talent and experience. Yeah. Like that's a spot where, you know, if you want to, if I want to sit here and read down the, the list on the roster, you know, Armani Chapman, Chamari Connor, uh, DJ Harvey has played a little bit. Keonta Jenkins, Nike Johnson, Breon Murray, Nasir Peoples, Jalen Stroman, Dorian Strong, and Deer Thompson. I mean, that's like almost 10 guys that have played. Yep. And that's what happens when a lot of those guys are at corner, but that's what happens when you're got, you know, Ryan Smith as the corners coach had so many injuries, you know, when, when so much stuff happened because of COVID and whatnot, yeah. guys ended up playing positions. And and Justin Hamilton and Ryan Smith always talked about it last year about how this group is really, really good. You know, it's kind of just finding the best combination. And that does not surprise me at all because I think a lot of guys, you know, for example, Chamari Connor and Armani Chapman, you know, We've seen them in a Virginia Tech uniform for so long now. Yes. You know, they yeah. they are are veterans of this program. And it does not surprise me one bit that a guy the goes guys like that have stood out. And then you think of a guy like Dorian Strong, really, really good first two years in Blacksburg. You know, crazy thing, he's he's already played two years, but he's played at a lot of times he's played like a veteran. Yeah. You know? He's he's played really well at corner. So, you know, I think it doesn't really surprise me because of the experience, because kind of like what Fontel Mine said earlier, but in terms of defensive backs, those guys were thrown to the fire right away. COVID they year. had to be. At COVID year, yes. Holy there were no other options. Yeah. <laughs> and and so it, to, to your question, Curtis, it does not surprise me whatsoever that those guys are are the ones earning it because – Yes, there, there's some depth at other positions, but you go, you can go down the list, and there are multiple guys on there that have started and you know played in real games that mattered, and you can't match that. No, you can't. I agree. Not at all. And, and you you mentioned uh, Pearson Prelude as you're going through with with the safeties there and the depth. This is his first major coaching gig. Um, from your observations. How active is he during scrimmage sessions and position work? And what's his rapport like with that safety unit so far? I tell you what, he's really vocal. Pearson <laughs> Prelude is really vocal. And, and and I tell you what, one of the most entertaining things and, and one of the things I enjoy the most about watching practice um, is seeing coaches be vocal with their units and, and be teachers, whether it's J.C. Price, um, I think I got it in a video I tweeted out earlier of him sitting there chatting with CJ McCray, you know, defensive end after CJ McCray did something. Yeah. Joe Rudolph chatting with his offensive line, Tyler Bone. I mean, the list goes on. All those guys seeing 
a coach talk with his player and you know put his arm around his, the guy's shoulder and just sit there and explain something or just belt out orders you know and make sure they understand it that's Pearson Prelude. I mean it easily noticeable when you go to a practice because he's I don't say he's always yelling because that sounds bad but he's a very vocal guy and from everything I can tell you know his guys have responded very well to it and Yes, he doesn't necessarily have the D1 coaching experience. But remember, this is a guy who, who played for a long time. He won a Super Bowl. You know, he's, he's, got, he's got plenty of experience. And, and I think so far his guys have really taken very well to everything he's tried to kind of implement. Um, and I've really enjoyed kind of wandering around during practice and, and knowing, you know, looking at that group. You know, it's funny because – uh, last week's practice, it was the safeties right next to the linebackers. And all three of those coaches, Prelu, Marv, Quinn, are all just yelling at their guys, you know, <laughs> coaching their guys. Yeah. And, and honestly, that's the fun of watching practice, seeing these guys learn from the coaches who are teaching them. And I think that's exactly what Peterson Prelu embodies so far. It's awesome to hear. And, um, the guy who came on mentioned had that little comment a little while ago, our buddy Coach Robbie Compton. He's a huge Washington fan, Redskins, Commanders, whatever you want to call them. And he said he remembered when he was on the Skins, he read some articles talking about how Pearson legitimately was already a coach. He was a coach on the field, getting guys in the right spot. So it was one of those. He doesn't have title as a safeties coach, but like you mentioned, all those years of playing, getting a Super Bowl ring, he's been a coach for a long time. Now, Pearson was also a leader, not only back in the 90s, but obviously with those stops from the from what we've said here. But now Jermaine Waller's gone. Probably going to get drafted in a few weeks here. We hope he does. There's no leader in that cornerback room. If you like the safety room with Jamari coming over, he's the vet, he's played, he's been a good player. He's locked that down. Who do you think, and this is what we're going to call it, hashtag this, who do you think is going to be the alpha cheetah when it comes to fall camp? <laughs> and we got David giggling over here, the alpha cheetah. You know, I will give you – here's what I would expect. My three options would be Armani Chapman, the, the most veteran, the tenured guy of the group, has the most reps. A guy like Dorian Strong, already mentioned him. And then, honestly, Breon Murray's a guy that would not surprise me whatsoever. I think he's come a long way. And we know we were talking about this before before we went on. Um, some of the social media stuff seems like Breon Murray's always, like, been posted by the coaches. Like, that's mine. I've always seen the coaches kind of post about how well he's been one of the guys that's doing well so far. So I think those three guys, the first two – you know, Chapman has been here. He's a veteran, strong. He's really good, and he's you know he's only played two years. And then I think Breon Murray's a guy who, you know, was kind of in between, good at times. He had his moments, um, but wasn't necessarily in that first group. He wasn't necessarily a go-to starter. He just got a lot of playing time. I think he's a guy that would not surprise me to stand out. But but if I had to guess, I think it would come from from one of those first two guys and. Um, you know, that that's definitely not just in the cornerback room, but 
but across the board, like those kinds of things, when I, as a media member, have the chance to watch practice, those are the kinds of things that are cool to look for. Just, just who's being vocal, mm-hmm. you know, who's, yeah. who's barking out signals, who's sitting there and patting the other guy on the back and, and giving them advice when, when something doesn't go their way, you know, those are in, and it's tough to, to pick up on those things necessarily in 25, 30 minute periods, but it helps. And of course you notice those during the games too, but I think one of those first two guys, maybe, maybe that third guy, um, those are probably the, the guys, if I had to guess would probably be, be the alpha cheetah, you know, Here we go. when everything is said and done. Awesome. Awesome. So I, I know we probably was talking about after, you know, every practice they're they're talking personnel, personnel shifts and things like that. Uh, on the defense, and, and this is probably going to, I think, circle back to where, where we were just talking, but what groups do you think are looking the most fluid in practice in terms of either the starting personnel or the personnel groupings um, altogether? Well, both sides of the ball. I would say you would have to go with the groups that have the most experience, right? Like that's just what, what makes the most sense. I think offensively you could maybe say quarterbacks, but my guess would be tight ends just okay. because of, of the veterans in that room. You know, you've got two guys in, in Gallo and Julius that have been here before. Grant Wells and Jason Brown, while they're experienced, you know, they've only been at Virginia Tech since they enrolled in the spring. Defensively, I think it's got to be the DBs, whether it's corner or safety. You know, it, it's it's funny because there hasn't really been much attrition there besides Jermaine Waller leaving. Like that's yeah. the same group that's been here. So, you know, I would guess tight ends and, and defensive backs. Those are probably the two groups that that probably just the most consistent throughout. Fluid, as you said, um, and I think it probably goes back to those are the groups that had the, the less amount of changes. Obviously tight end group lost James Mitchell with which hurts. Yes. But but it wasn't it's not like Gallo and Julius weren't doing the same thing they're doing now before. You know, they've been here before. Same same with the DBs. And, he, and they played pretty much ten games without him last year, uh, yeah. you know, due to the injury. So that they've they've been you know, we've had to count on them as as the one A, one B, you know, whatever you want to call it in terms of uh you know, depth at the tight end position. So I'm with that. What are some of the groups that seem to be more in flux? I know we talked about defensive line and and some guys moving around. Uh, is there a spot on the offense that's kind of similar to that? Or uh, is, is it more just on that defensive side, kind of at, at defensive end and defensive tackle? Running back? I okay. mean, you, I mean, here's what I would say. This is, again, this is a time period where they're trying to figure out who fits where. You know, so they sit there and that Brent Pry mentioned that they're scrimmaging up until the spring game. They're scrimmaging every Saturday. And then on Sunday and Monday, they're sitting there and they're talking with the different coaches. And then Monday they'll make the decisions and kind of talk with the players about it, about who could potentially move to a different position. And we know how many running backs are in the room. It would not surprise me if some of those guys end up testing your talents at a different position, wide receiver would make sense simply because they want to, you know, where can we utilize their skill set the most? Like if Chance Black started catching passes out of the backfield, maybe maybe not him because he's a little high up on the list, but a guy like Kenji Christian or Keyshawn King potentially catching passes out at a wide receiver, 
you know, depending on where their skill set aligns with everybody else in that wide receiver room, that sure. would not surprise me at all. And, and and on the other side, I think the linebackers, I think the Sam linebacker, them trying to figure out because you know that's the the dynamic linebacker, if you want to call it, that's the one that has kind of be that hybrid. Um, I think that would probably be the one that's in flux. But at this point, you could probably say, besides like quarterback and like line, offensive line, everybody's pretty much in flux. I mean, they seem to just be moving everybody all over the place. And again, this is spring ball. And they that's kind of the luxury of it where – Imagine if you again. Imagine if you find out that oh my god, this guy's amazing at Sam linebacker, and he was playing safety before. You know, those are the kinds of things that you only will be able to find in if you test it in spring ball. Yeah. Something else. I have a question with. Obviously, we have noticed really since Brent Pry got here, we knew it was coming at the beginning. You know, at the beginning, middle of last year. Is it noticeable around Merriman at the practices, the support staff, and how many additional people are now that have been hired? Yeah. I mean, here's what I will say. There are always a lot of people at football practices because that's the way football practices go. But but I you can kind of like feel the the vibe if that makes sense. Okay. Like like it's a you can feel the culture. Um, I was impressed at pro day when I went, not, not, not everybody has to be there, you know, cause it's pro day. It's just for the guys that are trying to, to go to the, you know, go to the yeah. NFL Yeah. And, and the amount of support staff, you know, whether it's just people that work behind the scenes, other, other staff members that are there helping out, doing things, um, I'm impressed, and I, I think one of the one of the parts that is probably overlooked, and you know, you don't necessarily always get the best look at this because it's all behind the scenes. Um, but but from what I can tell, Brent Pry's done a really good job, and I think credit's got to go to Mike Villagrana, who, who's kind of in that role overseeing kind of all the operations below him. Um, I, I think they've done a really good job of creating this this culture not just within the football program, but everybody else as a staff and everybody being on the same page. And I could feel it when I went to, you know, when I went to pro day, which, you know, was a little kind of all over the place, but you're also kind of giving like, you're letting the NFL scouts kind of run the show. So that's just the way it goes. But like at practice, you can, you can sense that, you know, that there is a culture and that the support staff like there was a there's a lot of supports that just come out you know I could notice that they're just on the sideline watching practice you know like um, I, I can tell that that there is a a good culture being cultivated if that makes sense makes perfect sense makes perfect sense um, one more thing we want to hit on I don't know do you do you monitor the tech sideline board sometimes. Is that what it is not? It's not in my duties. Okay, uh, it, it, that is that 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 is one of Chris Coleman's main duties. Chris and Will <laughs> monitor the boards because okay. we always we I always post stuff on there. Like I post my articles and share them, but I'm on there occasionally. But 
sometimes that place can be a mess. If you guys right. if, like, oh yeah, like what Twitter. A mess when it was announced that you have to pay five dollars to get into the spring game. Oh, I don't know. See, those are that's one of the times I don't get on it. You know? <laughs> Why would I? I I'm going to avoid this at this point. Here's <laughs> here's what I will say. I think it's a. Awesome. I think it's a good idea. Yeah. Because, like, now what I wish, if if I from a fan perspective, and to give you guys more information about me, so I'm the oldest of, of three children, and my sister is currently a sophomore at Virginia Tech, and my brother is going to be a freshman here in the fall. And I almost – I have a good amount of family that's coming up for the spring game. You know, make a weekend out of it, 3.2 for 32 – Lots of great stuff going on in the community. Yep. And they're not going to be hampered by a $5 charge for the spring game. But they're also, you know, not the oldest of the old generation that that likes to go to these things. And what I think would have been better is, one, announce it like, I don't know, back in December or January when you announce it. Hey, we're going to charge. And because – the fact that you're making people pay ahead of time for it when it's just five dollars, you're telling me I can't walk up and give you like it doesn't matter to me because I get to yeah, you know, I have a press pass, I'm gonna be watching it anyway. Yeah. But like if I'm a fan, I'm walking up to the gate, you're telling me I can't just give somebody five dollars and get in, you know, and I, I think it's I think it's gonna help the program. I mean, it's not gonna be like a huge money generator, but it if you can, if you get X amount of people to come, if you can generate like a hundred thousand dollars, you know, just from a spring game, so that's another years. that's another potential support staff spot. Yeah, you're paying a salary right there. Yeah, but but hold on, it's going to be higher than that. When we went in sixteen for Winty's first year, it was forty three thousand. Yeah, and the buzz going around right now with Pry, I think it's like the White Vic said it. He thinks if they open up the stadium full, it could be a full house. And yeah. I like your point, though. They did do it late in the process. If they had done this January sixteenth, well, when they that, when they when they dropped the date, they when they dropped the date, they should have dropped this as as yeah. the process. Yeah. Where I think it will help, though, is there's going to be people like Brian, like you, like myself. I'm not going, unfortunately. Boo hoo. Um, but. I go in there and I'm getting ready to pay five bucks. I haven't seen the link, if, but if there's a link to donate more money, there's going to be people sitting there saying, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and give my big donation right now. Here's five bucks. Here's 200. Here's my 25 for the year. And then the next thing you know, it's this process of when the spring game happens is when I give my annual donation. It's yeah. a ritual. And and I don't know. Can you buy up to the day of the game, or is it, or is it going to? Yeah, be you can. You can buy on on the day. You just have to do it on your on the mobile within that. Yeah. I mean, and all the all the all the tickets will be be mobile anyway. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's for a good, the other thing I would say is and I actually talked to some people in athletics about this. If you're going to do it, when you release it, say where the money's going. Yeah. That would help a lot of people. If you just say, look, it's being – it's going back into the football program. Like they are going to use the money on whether it's staff or whatever. Yes. Just even say like it's just going back to Virginia Tech football instead of – so people don't 
you know, so random guy who just wants to go to a spring game because he's in town and, and, and never keeps up with Virginia Tech football pays five bucks and, and is going, wait, where's it going? Well, if you put it in a release, it's very simple. Just put it in the release, say the money's going to Virginia Tech football because that's what I was told. I talked to people in athletics and they were like, it's going to Virginia Tech football. I'm like, put it in the release, man. Yeah. But people won't have to ask me questions about where it's <laughs> It's going for scholarships. It's going for yeah everything. Yeah. Good, good. I love those points, David. Love that you're for it, but also love that you've already seen the opportunities yeah. where it's like, we can do this better. And that should be a goal next year. And heck, maybe next year's the thought process of if I have to come into the game, maybe the alumni stuff's going good. Pay twenty five meet and greet alumni, pay a hundred tailgate with the alumni out at the Hokie Village. And the next thing you know, you're going from, you know, if there's even just a thousand people that'll say, "I'll throw a hundred bucks to go to a tailgate with some of the alumni," the profits go up. Um, one last thing before we close everything out here, because this has been awesome. I feel like we could probably go another thirty or forty minutes, but. It's late. We have things to do. We have to all get to sleep. But, you know, you already mentioned the men and the women's basketball teams this year. You talked about wrestling. Y'all have Jack Brizendine who covers it. Follow him. He definitely is great at keeping you up with the matches if you can't see them. They finished seventh at nationals. Indoor track has two national champions, finishes 10th. Do you think this athletic department – is in the best spot potentially in the history of the school as a whole. I think you can make a really good case. Yeah. I, and and you know, what's interesting is will it, it'll be better to judge. And this is not me pushing the question. It will be better to judge when the director's cup stuff comes out, which is, which will be sometime. Um, it'll probably be sometime late summer, kind of mm-hmm. like, like July, August. Okay. Just w- where everything comes out and it just all the numbers, all the standings for, for every sport. And I think Tech's highest ever finish is like 24th or 25th. And I think they'll probably be like 15th, maybe 16th. I mean, like here's the – here's the, uh, don't take my word for it, but like I think this is probably one of the best years in Virginia Tech athletics. Yeah. When you've got the men's – somebody asked me, was this the best ever year for the men's and women's basketball team? And I'm like, at the same year, I'm like, well, this is only the second year ever that they've gone to the tournament the same year. Yeah. And the men just won the ACC tournament. And the women, you know, were right on the doorstep. They finished fifth in the ACC. Technically, they finished a tie for third. You know, like, like there's that. There's track and field. A couple of national champions. Wrestling's doing really well. Makai Lewis had a chance to win a national championship. I screwed out of it. We're all just gonna put that there. He got screwed out of it. I mean, and, and don't even discount baseball's playing pretty well right now. Softball's on a roll, 14 game win streak. Number five in the country. Number I mean, look, everything's coming together. Now, now the question is, is football ever gonna get back? You know, yeah. like but but I think but I think overall, and I actually wrote this story. Um I wrote it back kind of in between the NCAA tournament and the ACC tournaments, um, just kind of 
writing about how the men's and women's basketball programs both came together. And I kind of praised with Babcock and I said, look, like you got to acknowledge that he's done a really good job. Now, maybe the Justin Fuente hire didn't work out, but at the time it was a pretty good hire and not every hire is going to work out. (laughs) And that's just the way it happened. But across the board, I mean, he's knocked it. Whip Babcock's knocked it out of the park in yes. so many different areas. Yep. And, and, and what he's building at each is he's building foundations for donations for each of those sports. Yeah. Where the goal is over time, the foot, the 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 indoor track team, the wrestling team is almost there. I think they're supporting themselves because yeah. there are so many people involved and so many alumni coming out and have such a strong feel. They're supporting them. And what happens in the long run is football reaps those dividends because instead of having to write the $3 million check to the other sports, it writes a $1 million check. Yeah. And I, I think in the end it'll be, here's the thing you get football back on the right track and then you essentially have, I mean, it'd be, you know, like, like volleyball right now, volleyball did not have a great season, but it was also the first year of Marcy Byers. Yeah. You know, like, like there are very few sports that are not in a good place right now. And if you get football back on the right track, everybody's going to be looking around going, we're in a pretty good spot. Now, what I will say is NIL is going to play a huge factor in everything. NIL is coming around and NIL is going to play a huge role in everything that happens in the future. Because I'll, I'll give you an example. This isn't um, public knowledge yet, though we will, will Stewart has promoted on the message boards. Um, but in the next couple of days, it's going to be announced that Tech Sideline has an NIL deal with Justin Mutz. And it's we are basically getting prints of uh, the awesome picture my guy Liam's, Liam took of his posterization of Paolo Bancaro and what's going to happen is Justin's going to sign X amount of them and we're going to sell at least 250 of them and Justin's going to get X amount of money Justin could potentially make you know Justin could make thousands of dollars just by simple poster deal you know and this is this has nothing to do with even getting him to stay this is just a simple um, and the only reason I'm telling you guys this is because I know it's going to be announced soon. We got a release written up already about it. Um, <laughs> and Justin's already signed the contract and everything. It's 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 just uh, waiting on, on whether it to be announced. But um, those are the types of things that the Virginia Tech fans are going to have to buy into in the future. And, and I know it's not easy, and I know it's different, very yeah. different. Very but like, but it's simple a simple donation a simple nil deal could potentially get a student athlete to stay or get a student athlete that wasn't considering coming to your school consider to come to your school 100%. you know again this has no indication on whether justin will end up staying or not but because of you know he has potential to make x amount of money because we're i think we're gonna end up selling like signed copies of his poster for like 100 bucks you know and you can pre-order pre-order copies you know, and if we end up selling 500 of his posters, he's making money. He's, you know, like 70, 80% of that money's going to him. Yes. 
And that is an awesome opportunity for student athlete. And what's one student athlete sees it happening? Everybody else is going to want to get on that train. Exactly. And this is where the donors, this is where everybody else has to come into play. Yeah. And it's and you it's going to get to the point where you're not going to be able to overlook it and say, well, it doesn't matter. You know, that doesn't apply to us. It's going to happen. It, it's going to happen. And th- this is kind of just the start. So that I like. And this kind of all goes in the same conversation. What Babcock said that yeah, the athletic department in a fantastic spot. So many of these sports are excelling. Would not surprise me if softball ends up going to the College World Series this year. They're that good. They're that good. They're really that good. You know, imagine what happens if, you know, Keely Richard, you know, a, a softball player is kind of in the same situation where there's a, you know, Virginia Tech softball ends up going to, to, all the way and there's a picture or photo or something like give those girls goes give those student athletes nil deals you know that's going to recruit more players to your program better players and in turn it's just going to keep cycling cycling and cycling so i think that's kind of the next wave and it helps a lot that virginia tech athletics is in a really good position right now it really is man well, David, it has been an absolute pleasure tonight for you joining us. I thank you for you know taking the time out of your evening to sit here and talk with us two old heads. For all you guys out there, check TechSideline.com for all of David's articles. Um, also, follow him. He is a great follow if you love tech sports on Twitter. The Real David Cunna, C-U-N-N-A. Brian, we got anything else, man? I think we're good, man. All right. Well, that is going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner podcast, along with David Cunningham. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website, BoundaryCornerVT.com, to listen to all of our episodes. And while you're there, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube account and your favorite podcast source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long play us in, play us out. Jason told us the other night he's got some new music on the way. So hopefully we'll be able to play that here in just a few weeks. Catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. We thank you for listening. And as always, let's go. Hokies.